You know, it's funny because there's a part of me while we were worshiping that was keeping track of time. There's an administrator part of me that comes out that's like, okay, is everything running on cue? Is like, are, is the time of the worship going okay? Like, how much time is am I going to have for the sermon? And there was a part of, of the spirit that just came in and said, Ricardo, just focus on worshiping me. What are you worrying about your part? Focus on worshiping me. Who cares? We're here declaring the glory of God. And when we worship with these songs, we're declaring truths. It's not about anything exterior. It's not about what we look like or what we dress like or what we're trying to, um, to show others. It's not an exterior process. It's, a, it's an encounter with the living God enabled by the peace that Jesus Christ provides. Jesus made a peace He gave us, He mediated a peace for us to have with the Father. We're going to talk about that today. We started this series kind of improv, because uh, as Pastor Jason was saying at the beginning of uh, of the service, we had another series in rotation. And then we started noticing tragedy after tragedy. And we didn't notice it now. It's been happening for a while, right? There's been tragedy after tragedy. There's been all sorts of division, turmoil, death. I mean, that's an unfortunate amen that we all are agreeing to that, yes, it, it has been happening. There's been, sin has been allowed to run wild and we, we see it and we know as Christians there's something wrong with it. How do, we, how, do, how do we come to terms with it? I mean, the church has to have the key, right? The church has to have the solution. Jesus Christ empowers the church to be salt and light to the earth. So he empowers the church to be the solution. Jesus is the solution. So we we realized as a teaching team that we needed to take a moment, even if it was just two weeks, to interrupt our rotation uh, or our, our teaching series, the ones that were programmed. And we needed to address two things we felt, unity and peace. This series, it's just two weeks, but it's called We Are One. And it was based on that Galatians passage that says that we are all one in Christ Jesus. No divisions. And Pastor Jason brought a powerful message on unity last week. He was using as a base passage Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And he really brought to life the truth of that, because right now the solution to all the division is obviously unity. But we know as sinful people, we can't provide unity the way the world does it because it's not going to work. We're sinful. We're inherently bent and inclined towards bad things. So when we try to unite, we try to do it our way and in a flawed way. It has to be a supernatural peace. A peace that, as that passage says, is based on Christ Jesus. He does something, we'll see today, that provides peace with the Father and also peace amongst us. And it's again a a peace that, as Pastor Jason said last week, will shock the world. They'll be standing there scratching their heads saying, wait, why don't we get it? That's what Jesus is calling us. When they look from the outside, they see that the body of Christ is united from, with all nations and all tongues and all cultures, all ethnicities, submitted to the Word of God and to the sovereignty of God. Why do they get it? Well, because we have an empowerment in God that they just don't get. We are able to renew our minds, as Paul says in Romans 12, too, to a point where we avoid the division. So what, what is it? How is that done? How does Jesus bring us to a point of, 
of avoiding the division. Well, the key is in that renewal of mind, Jesus asks us to drop our preconceived notions, our biases. And yes, that means politics. That means our biases from what the TV has been feeding us. That means our biases from what our parents have taught us. As Pastor Jason said last week, non-biblical biases. The only bias as a believer that you should have is the one the Bible gives you. Because it's the truth, it's the Word of God, it's the living, active Word of God, sharper than any double-edged sword. So that, that bias we can have, but any other biases, Republican, Democrat, pro-Black Lives Matter, pro-Cops Matter, I mean, all of the lives matter, right? Of course. But what, what, does, what does that renewal of mind require us to do? It means when I talk to someone that I disagree with, I drop my preconceived notions and I am compassionate. I listen. Pastor Jason said last week, sometimes we're more focused on winning an argument than mourning with a brother or sister. That hurts. A person comes at you and tells you like that, you know, that they're really hurting because their community of police officers or of black people or beyond are hurting and we just want to shoot the first right argument to shut them out and to tell them, no, you're on the wrong side. You have to come over here. But God calls us to be compassionate. And that means to listen. Their pain is authentic. Regardless of who's right, their pain is authentic. And we need to be able to renew our minds and drop all of those biases. That's what I love about it. So God calls that, and Pastor Jason beautifully walked us through that unity, calls us to a unity that just surprises and shocks the world. Sinners all around will want to run to join us because we have it figured out, in a sense. In the sense of coming together beyond those divisions. But we still live in a world with turmoil. Two days ago, three days ago, there, was, there, there were deaths all around the world. We, I mean, what was it, last week the bells were in, were in France, and I was so worried because there was that, that attack in nice France. Thankfully, they were in Paris, uh, France. Um, and we were all concerned. And I mean, the turmoil is abundant <laughs> all around the world, whether through terrorism, racial divide, or uh, disagreement on politics. Right now, everyone's screaming either go Trump or I hate Trump. Uh, Hillary's a thief. Hillary's better than Trump. Or, I mean, it's, it really drives me insane. I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> it, it's, it's insane. And here's why. Our peace cannot rely on the peace that man provides. Hillary won't save us. Trump won't save us. Jesus saves us. We want change. Jesus says, I'm making all things new. You know, here's the difference between the world and Christians. The world continues to say, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But this is the solution. This is the guy. This is the woman. This is the person that's going to fix it. And Jesus said, no, behold, I'm making all things new. It's not going to be through politics. Did you notice when you read the Gospels, this group of elite people called the Pharisees, they tried to make Jesus a politician and he walked from it all day. His kingdom is not from this earth. Can I get an amen? His kingdom is above. So the change that's coming is because of the fact that he makes all things new. And it's crazy because you look at social media or you talk to people and you can tell anxiety is, is at an all-time high. People are with fear and anxiety. How can we find that peace that brings us 
to a point of, you know what, there's turmoil around me, but I can survive it because I rely on the happy ending that God will provide. There's a happy ending to our story. See, we have an advantage. God has told us what's going to happen. We know how the story ends. It doesn't change the fact that sometimes we hurt because people around us get sick, die, are, are persecuted, are, are mistreated. All sorts of different problems surround us still. So how do we keep peace while we wait? It's a big problem. How do we respond? How do we find that peace and hope? See, we have a yearn for peace. And I, this morning as I was preparing the last minute details, I felt God say, the problem is some people have to fix their main yearn for peace. And the main yearn for peace that we have is for peace with God. If we have peace with God, any other turmoil that happens around us is nothing. It still hurts. We, it's not like we're plastic and we, we, we don't suffer. We do. But we rejoice in our sufferings, the Word says. We can rejoice in our sufferings because we have a peace that's bigger than all of the other peace that we need. It's peace with God through the available work that Jesus did. See, the unity and peace that fellow believers experiences Christ is parallel to our peace with God through Christ. Now this is really fascinating because this series is on peace and unity. And so we just talked about unity with people. How do we now talk about peace? Well, there's a beautiful parallel that Paul brings to life where he compares the two. Basically, long story short, he's saying because of what Jesus did, we have unity with each other and now we can approach God. We have peace made. There's a parallel between two, the two. There's a very well-known passage that talks about this peace that we have with God. It's in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says the following, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have peace with God. Sin had removed the peace. And amount or degree of sin doesn't change that. We've said that here before. We need peace with God. We are alienated, we'll see later, from God because of sin. But Jesus provides that peace. And Paul, in Ephesians, in chapter 2, he really brings that parallel we just talked about to life. He compares the unity we have with believers with the peace that we have with God. Again, he compares the unity we have with believers with the peace that we have with the Father, all enabled by Jesus Christ. So turn with me to chapter 2 of Ephesians. And we'll be reading verses 11 through 22. I'm probably going to read through it twice. Because the first time we'll do the read through, the second time we'll kind of break it down and see what the heck he's talking about. It's funny because Peter sometimes even says in, in 2 Peter, I think he says, yeah, Paul is a hard guy to understand sometimes. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, and that's the, the non-Jewish people, in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from 
Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He, that's Jesus, He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's the happy ending, by the way. We'll get to that later. But that could be hard to understand without context. So here's the problem. Sin happened way back in the book of Genesis, right? Sin happens and now we're fallen people. And God starts this plan to redeem all people. But he does it through Abraham's offspring. And so Abraham, a man of faith who believed the promise given to him, from him comes this people that we now call Israel. And Israel will eventually be the bringers of the Messiah. So through that lineage, the human ancestry of Jesus Christ will come and he'll provide salvation to all. But in the meantime, Israel is God's people. Israel, just this select elite people, is God's people. And out here is everyone else. It's what that passage called the uncircumcision, or ones that were far off. And so there's a division Because when Jesus came and changed everything, even within that church, there's the elite people, oh, yes, I'm Jewish, so I'm more covenant protected than you. And over here are the non-Jewish, and they're saying, no, wait, didn't Jesus change that? And Paul's saying, yes. Now, you don't divide yourself from them. You're not better than them. In fact, he even says in verse 16, and might reconcile us both, to God. And that both is speaking to the elite and the non-elite. The the covenant people and the non-covenant people. See, Jesus did a lot of things at the same time with his work. And one of them was he took away the old covenant and brought a new covenant. Now, covenant, that sounds like a weird like emo word, right? But covenant basically means a agreement. The covenant that God had previously with the elite people was called the Law of Moses, or it has different names, but that's basically it. And when Jesus comes, it says there he abolishes the Law of Commandments expressed in in ordinances. Now, keep in mind, that doesn't mean now you don't sin. It's that now an old system of laws has been replaced with a new system. A better one. Hebrews 10 says this. I'm not making this wording up. A better system. A better covenant. The previous one is obsolete. 
There's a new way. So Jesus has provided peace for both the elite people and the non-elite. So he says, look, you guys need to stop fighting. You both need God and you both need peace. I just brought about the salvation using a people with a previous obsolete covenant. But now Jesus has provided peace with me. You guys need to have peace. So that connects us to last week's message. Through Jesus, we have a unity that breaks beyond all the social stratifications that we can come up with. All the elite and non-elite, the rich and the poor, the Democrat or the Republican, the pro-this or the pro-that, all united because Jesus took that wall. He broke it down. And the parallel is that He did it by breaking the wall that we had of hostility with the Father. All of us. All the different groups. Doesn't matter where you came from. There was a wall of hostility because of our sin. And because of our sin, we needed peace. And Jesus is our peace. A lot of the world will always experience lack of peace because they don't have that main peace fixed. As believers, we can now look forward to a happy ending, a better and higher peace, because we have peace with the Father. We can approach His throne of grace with confidence, not because of anything we've done, but by grace, a free gift. He loved us despite our own selfish ways, our own sinful ways. He provided peace. He's given us peace. So, the elite people had this promise, this covenant, And now there's a new, better covenant that includes all people. We should be united and we have peace with the Father. It's a beautiful picture. Now, we still suffer. We have peace with the Father and that's the best peace we could have. Right? That keeps us focused. But we should also look forward to more because we are suffering in the meantime. Death happens. We lose people. We, I mean, there's just so much turmoil. I see it. I sense it in the people that I talk to. We need to keep a proper perspective of where we're heading. And that way, it will prevent us from trying to seek human solutions and point people to Jesus. What's our role in this lack of peace world? To evangelize. To bring people to the peace with the Father and the peace of the coming world. There's a new order that's coming. A new heaven and a new earth. If people just knew that they could have peace with the Father and live in a dwelling place with God in the new heaven and earth, they would be satisfied. They would have peace. Peace with God gives us peace in the midst of suffering. Peace with God the Father gives us peace in the midst of suffering. Romans 8 verse 18 says... For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is a secondary piece that we're talking about here. The sufferings don't compare to the secondary piece. We have the first piece right here. Peace with the Father. But there's a secondary piece. And that peace comes in comparison with the sufferings and says it's still way better than the sufferings you're experiencing. It doesn't even compare. That peace that is to come is the new heaven and new earth, which portrays both peace and unity among all believers of all races, tribes, nations, tongues, etc., but also a dwelling place with God, where we are, where we are in fellowship with the Father. This happy ending is, of course, in the last book of the Bible. <laughs> right? Revelation. In Revelation... Chapter 21, we get 
the perfect picture of the perfect happy ending where sin and death are no more and more importantly our peace with the Father is at its highest point. We are at a dwelling place with God. We have peace with Him. It's just all about experiencing God directly. No sinful limitations in the way. Let's read Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 5. It paints such a beautiful picture. I love it. Then I saw, this is John speaking, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's the church. That's us. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. There's that peace again. That upper, upward peace with the Father. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away, here's the secondary piece, the one of the sufferings, the answer to the sufferings we've had. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who, who was seated on the throne said, Behold, there it is again, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write these things down. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You better believe it. It's God's promise. It's happening. The world needs to know about this. More importantly, they need to believe it. They need to run to Jesus for that peace. That peace was earned on our behalf. And it's a twofold peace. If there's anything I want you to take away today is that Jesus provides peace with the Father and peace in the midst of our circumstance because of the happy ending that's coming. That lack of death, your tears wiped away. There's still suffering, but it'll all be over. The best illustration that I can think of with this is when Jesus is with Lazarus. And we've talked about this before. And Jesus is told, Lazarus is basically going to die. We need you to come and save him. And Jesus takes his time. He slows his beat. Right? He takes some time to get there. When he gets there, he still weeps. He doesn't want us to die. He doesn't want us to suffer. He doesn't want us to be sick. He's making all things new because of that. But sometimes there's a delay because the gospel needs to reach everyone. In fact, that very act of bringing Lazarus to life was to glorify God, he says. So there is a purpose in our momentary affliction. We have encouragement. It's all going to be a happy ending. I've said this before. It's like my wife, she likes finding out what happens at the end of movies before she watches them. Because she can't take the pressure. I know a lot of people like that. I like going through the pressure of, oh, what's going to happen to the character? But then my wife sees what happens with the character, and then she's happy. She sits in the movie. She's like, oh, yeah, this is a great movie. She enjoys it. Now, if we were the main character in the story, we would want to know too. And we do. We do know what happens. That peace is guaranteed. Now, the first peace we already experience right now. You have that fellowship with the Father right now. 
you know, and there's something off script here that I'm going to go into regarding peace. There's a peace of knowing you're saved and it's done with. And, and this came this this came off script because of something that I, uh, things that I was thinking about this morning and a conversation that I had with some fellow brothers and sisters here. I used to struggle a lot with, am I saved or am I not saved? And I shared with some friends about this because I, as I've told some of you before, this is still hard for me to say, even though you all know I have OCD. And my OCD was religious in its nature. I, I was brought up in a very rigorous and very uh, uh, orthodox, re- religious way of doing things. And uh, I got to earn the favor of God and every little fail takes that favor away. So I was obsessed with trying to get the favor of God and never being enough and always feeling like I wasn't good enough. Always feeling like I wasn't in the favor of God. And even when I learned about grace for a moment, I thought I could lose that grace of God. Now here's the thing, he earned it for us. And he says to us in John 10, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Let me say that again. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I mean, to be snatched out of salvation is to be snatched out of the grasp of God. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who thinks they're saved is saved. There's, there, there's a way to come to that peace That peace comes when we have experienced God's fellowship and we have an attitude of just disregard to sin. If we say we've come to God but we keep on sinning, then we might have not experienced that grace. If we take our grace for granted, grace isn't lice to sin. It's empowerment to not sin. We still sin from time to time time, and we have temptations, but God gives us a power to no longer be slaves to sin, but be slaves to righteousness. And the importance, the way I know if I have it or not, have I experienced it or not, is again in your commitment. Is Jesus Lord of your life or is sin Lord of your life? And that doesn't mean I have it all figured out when Jesus is Lord of my life. He's Lord because He's guiding me and making me new. But if I do have that, if I have a Lord, Jesus is my Lord life attitude, you're saved. If He lords your day, every day, you're saved. And no one will snatch you out of the hand. Have peace, okay? I get it. I've had addictions in the past too. And God has broken me free from them through the power of grace. So have peace. Know that it's not in your ability to save yourself. It's His. And He also gives you ability to break the chains of former sins. If you have sins you're struggling with, come talk to us. If you're a guy, come to the men's breakfast. If you're a girl, go talk to Teresa or any of our other female leaders. And we'll help you. We'll pray with you. We'll, we'll help you achieve the victory that Christ enables. Peace. So how do we respond again to suffering in the world? I have this little cheesy diagram. Tribulation. We experience tribulation in the world. What's our response? The world says change comes through politics and ideologies. And I say, Amen. Amen. I say, No. Christ is making all things new. 
That's what we preach to the world. There's another way of putting this. There's a second diagram, because I'm that creative. <laughs> the world says, we can fix the tribulation by our solutions. Christians say, Jesus is the solution. He's this peace, and He's this peace. He's the peace with the Father, and He's the peace in the midst of our circumstances, and our suffering, and the unity that we have with others. Take that with you today. Show the world that before being a Republican or a Democrat, you're a Christian for crying out loud. Before being this or that bias, you're a Christian. I count all as lost, Pastor Jason said last week. That includes your political and social biases. All is lost next to the surpassing worth of having peace with God. Next to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. That is an amazing peace. As the band comes back up, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And I just want to ask you at this moment, as you pray with this, make sure to find all those anxieties or little stresses that, that you have been struggling with and to now declare peace over them. Because of the main peace we have, we can now have this peace as well. Because of the peace with the Father, we can have peace in the midst of our circumstance. So target that right now as we pray. We're going to declare freedom, and we're going to make it contagious to the world so that they want that peace too. Let's pray. Father, thank You because You sent Your Son to be peace. He is the peace. He provides the peace with you that we get to experience with you. And He provides the peace of knowing it all ends well. What a picture, Lord. Keep that picture of Revelation 21 alive in our mind. Keep it vivid. Help us smell and taste that image. That we know that we will be there with you. The dwelling place of man will be with God. And that there will be no more pain, suffering, death. Our tears will be wiped away. That's what we preach to this world. Peace that looks forward to a happy ending. And that happy ending is prefaced by peace with you, dwelling with you. May we preach it to the world, not just in words, but in our actions as well. May they see that we've dropped our preconceived, non-biblical notions at the door that we've adopted a new mind, that we're new people in Christ Jesus, no longer alienated, hostility dropped down, but now we've been brought together as one people in communion, in fellowship with God the Father. I pray also for the offering and the tithes as the ushers come forth. May they be multiplied, Lord. We give because we acknowledge that it's not really ours it's yours we give to remind ourselves of that and we give because we are committed to the kingdom that's why we pray your kingdom come your will be done because we are committed to the kingdom this money this little bit or a lot that we give is for the kingdom to advance so that people may be saved the most important commission of all multiply it use it change the world as only you God can. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.